think uh, many of you have seen something like this while you're out driving around. You've seen sort of some spotlights sort of flashing up in the sky, and, and those spotlights are usually placed in front of a, a, a business or some other new thing that's happening, and, and people will put it there. It's a way of, of them saying, hey, come check this out. Come and see what we have going on here. Uh, more than a few times I've been driving around and I've seen the spotlight and I couldn't help myself. I wanted to go see what was going on. So I've driven there, and more often than not, it's been pretty disappointing. It's like a new car dealership in Arby's, you know, something like that, right? Um, other times it's been pretty cool, right? A Chick-fil-A, right? So you can tell where I'm falling on the scale here, right? That was worth it. Uh, a Nike store, at least for me personally, right? So... In all those things, though, and what's happening here is that spotlight is there to say, hey, pay attention. This is something you want to see. Come and check it out. Come and see this for yourself. And what we have, as we've been in these early chapters of Matthew, is I want to say God has basically been doing the same thing. He's been shining a spotlight in multiple ways saying, hey, something has happened. Jesus has come. Come and see for yourself. Jesus, he's the Messiah, the one I promised to send, who's coming to save his people. He's bringing salvation and redemption to the world, and he's shining a spotlight in different ways, saying, come and see. So in the first half of Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, uh, God is showing the spotlight on Jesus through the family tree of Jesus, saying, come and see, check out Jesus. This family tree shows that he's the Messiah, points to him. The second half of chapter 1, God is, I mean, more directly, he's actually sending an angel, sends an angel to Joseph, and tells, an angel tells Joseph, Jesus is the Messiah, right? Not the first time he's used angel. God likes using angels to directly say, hey, Jesus is here. He's the Messiah. Come check him out. We see this in Luke, of course. Sends the angel to Mary. Sends the angel to the shepherds. In our passage this morning, I mean, God goes big time. He's using supernatural phenomenon, a moving star. Again, to do the same thing. To put a spotlight on Jesus as the Messiah. And all throughout this, what's he saying? Come and see. Come and check this out. Come and see for yourself. I'm telling you, I'm showing you something new has happened. The Messiah is here. It's Jesus. He's coming to do all that I promised that he would do. Come and see for yourself. That's what God is doing. And I want to say that's what God is always doing. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And if there's any question we have this morning, it's this. How will you respond to that? Come and see for yourself. Will you hear his invitation, how will you respond? There's, there's a couple different ways we can respond. When God puts the spotlight on Jesus and says, come and see for yourself. And our passage this morning is going to help us sort of see some of the ways we can respond. Some of the good and some of the bad ways. We start off with one response, and that's with the wise men. So this is verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So wise men show up in Jerusalem, and they, they got a crazy story. <laughs> they show up and they say, we saw a star rise over Israel, and we believe it means the king of the Jews, the Messiah, has been born. We want to check it out. So a couple of things in this, just even this section. What is this star? Over the centuries, a lot of people have sort of speculated, what, what, what was this that, that God did here? Um, was it a, a comet, a, a supernova of some kind? Whatever we think it is, I think the passage is really saying, look, this was something special, something unique. That God did something in particular, influencing 
the stars in outer space, right, to shine a spotlight, to do something that was noticeable. For these lines of men to say, hey, check this out. Something different is happening. He's shining a spotlight to say the Messiah has been born. Come and see. Another question here is, like, who these wise men are. We sometimes call them the magi, right? These were likely astrologers. So astrologers are people who, back then, study the, the stars to interpret current or future events. And so they're coming from the east, probably from Babylon, Persia, somewhere out there. At some point in their sort of daily study of the stars, they see something they've not seen before, something different, a new star over Israel. And they're from the east. They don't have the whole Old Testament like the Jewish people did, but they were at least familiar with some of the stuff in the Old Testament, some of the prophecies of a king, again, a Messiah to come from Israel. Uh, there's one prophecy in particular it seems they are aware of. This is in Numbers 24. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. One of those links of, of, of there's going to be something that happens in the stars, in the skies, that says a king has come, a Messiah has come. So knowing that and seeing the star is enough for them to set out and say, hey, we need to see this for themselves. Now get this. This was not a quick journey. Like these wise men, and quick mention here, it's not, sometimes we, in our songs, we say there's three wise men. There's nothing here to say there was only three. It's probably a group of them. These wise men, this group of guys, head out, and this is not like a trip to Flagstaff, right? This is 800 miles away. This is, I mean, probably take 40 days to get there. This is not a run to the corner store, not, a, not going up to Flagstaff. I mean, this is a trip. Now, it helps. These guys are pretty wealthy. We can see from the gifts they'll give later on in our passage. So they got people with them, probably. They got guards. They got attendants, et cetera. But, you know, they're riding on, on, on camels and animals. They're going through all sorts of types, types of weather. To do this is a commitment. It's a commitment based off not a whole lot. I mean, they don't got much to go on. They're not even Jewish. And yet, they know there's some passages in this Bible we've heard of that talk about a Messiah king, and we've seen something we've never seen before. And that's enough for them to say, hey, we need to check this out. That's enough for them to hear clearly that God is saying, hey, you should check this out. It's a long trip, but you should check this out for yourself. So the wise men realize, here's something we want to see personally. They come out to Jerusalem, and they ask, hey, we saw this. Can you tell us more? What can you tell us about this? That's one response so far. We're going to get another response right now, right, from Herod and his leaders. This is verse 3. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So a bit of background on Herod. Herod was made king over Israel in 73 BC by the Romans, so he was installed as king. He didn't sort of come into this by uh, inheritance. Uh, he wasn't fully Jewish, which is one of the reasons why the Jewish people were really sort of resentful of him and didn't like him. And, and Herod knew this. He was kind of in his feelings about this for most of his career, right? This is one of the reasons why his family tree kind of was always manipulating it to kind of show, hey, no, I'm a legit king. It really led to a lot of the ways that he acted. Now, he was called Herod the Great because he did do some pretty amazing things. He, he built tons of things back then. Uh, he built fortresses and cities, uh, built the temple, right, which is huge in Jerusalem, right? This beautiful temple. He was able to rebuild it. So he did all those different things, but he was also, he was a mean guy. He was cruel, petty, paranoid. Uh, he raised taxes hugely over all the people. And uh, get this, I mean, he, he became concerned that his family was trying to overthrow him. So he executed his wife, a bunch of his sons, 
one of the Roman emperors said, it's probably better off if you're Herod's pig than rather his son, right? You'll live longer, right? This is the kind of guy he was, willing to kill even his family members because he was very concerned about, hey, I am now king over this area, king over Judea. I don't want to lose it. I want to have power and control no matter what. So, wise men from the east come and saying, hey, a legit descendant of King David, we think has been born. <laughs> Herod's like, ah, 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 this is not good. It makes him even more paranoid and more afraid. And when he gets paranoid and afraid, he reacts with violence. I think this is why Jerusalem is troubled about this. This is how he reacts when he feels threatened. He reacts with violence. And, and it's one of the things, just, I mean, to think about here, I mean, that th the thing about violence, I think, the thing about violence and hatred is that we often think people react with violence and hatred out of a place of, like, security and strength. Look how strong I am. Look what I got. And so I'm going to exercise this by being violent or angry or all those different things. No, that's not actually the case. Violence and hatred really come out of a place of fear and insecurity. You're afraid of losing something. Whatever that is, a sense of a personal identity, a sense of, of stability, of, 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 in his case, of power, and that sense of fear and insecurity causes you to react in this way, with violence, with violence, with hate. And here's the thing, it's hard to admit fear. <laughs> it's hard to admit insecurity. We don't want to do that. Who wants to do that? Interestingly enough, God sends Jesus specifically to help us with that. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? Because life is full of fear. Life is full of insecurity. Life is full of things that happen that we did not expect. You wake up in the morning and something happened you didn't expect. You open your email and something happens that you didn't expect. There's lots of ways of reacting to it. One of those ways is I need to get control. I need to reestablish myself. Here we have someone who comes who we can admit our fears to, who we can give our insecurities to. And in him, in place of fear, we get peace. In place of insecurity, we get security and rest and stability. Jesus was actually the answer to what Herod has been struggling with his entire life. But you don't see it. He's afraid, and as he said, we'll see this later on in the chapter, next week, he's going to react with violence and hate. Herod gets the news, doesn't like it. He calls his peoples, religious authorities. Verse 4. So Herod assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He says, look, these guys have come and said this thing about the Christ. I don't know my Bible really well, so, you know, give me the cliff notes. What, what's going on here? And the religious leaders tell them, yes, the Bible speaks of this. The scriptures speak of this. And they quote from Micah 5 and 2 Samuel 5, which talks about a Messiah coming from Bethlehem, and as it says there in verse 6, who will shepherd my people Israel. So you understand, here's another spotlight, isn't it? The spotlight in the stars, right? Something happened that's new. But here God, by bringing the wise men to Jerusalem, is saying, hey, I'm going to make you open your own Bibles and remind you of something I've said. Look at the signs. They match up with what is going on. If you want to know more, come to Bethlehem. What's God saying here? Again, the invitation. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come check it out. You see, Herod... He's, he's not thinking of seeing this, right? He doesn't want to even believe in it. He wants his power. He wants his control. And so he's going to reject it. And, and because of that, he's leaning on his crutch. I get violent. <laughs> that's, that's what I lean on when I feel this, this sort of way. That's the response of Herod. But now we're seeing the other response, right, from the religious authorities. And what's, 
What's the way they're responding? What do you notice here? They're apathetic. They're indifferent. I mean, get this. This is something totally out of the ordinary. It's not like wise men from the east show up every single day, right? This is 40 days of them traveling. This, is, this does not happen every single day. And they're coming and saying, and they're astrologers, and they know what they're talking about. They're saying, trust us, something different is in the skies that your own Bibles tell you about. We don't even got a full Bible. We just know a couple of verses. But we know this one. It tells us something new is in the sky. We came all this way to see it. And here's this whole group of priests and scribes, and not one of them, not one of them says, hey, Bethlehem's a couple hours away. Let me, let's go and see it and check it out. Not one of them. Not one of them. I mean, you can just visualize the contrast here, right? It's almost, you can imagine these wise men are willing to look up and see what God is doing, see and hear God's invitation, come and see and lift themselves out of their comfortable lives to check it out. At the same time, Herod and his religious leaders aren't even willing to look up. They're just looking down at the life that they have and the status quo that they have and say, we need to keep this no matter what. We, we don't want to look up. We want to look down and around and keep this thing going for ourselves. Remember, the wise men don't have much to go on. They're not even the right kind of people, right? They're not Jewish. And yet, I want you to understand, like, this is the way God works. Only a little can lead to everything. Sometimes we think we need to have a lot to be able to figure out God and figure out Jesus. That's not how God works. Actually, God says, just a little bit can give you everything, can give you all of Jesus. Just a little that I show you. Herod, on the other hand, Herod and the religious leaders, I mean, here's, here's the wise man who are as far away from God as you could possibly have, who have just a little bit, and it's enough for them to be led to all of Jesus. Herod and his religious leaders have everything. <laughs> They've got the whole Old Testament. They're the right kind of people, right? They're, they're God's people, the right background, the right status, the right knowledge. But here's the thing. Having everything doesn't mean you're automatically going to find Jesus. In fact, you begin to rely on, like, look, look at all I got. Look at all I know. Look at how I grew up in this space. Right? I grew up knowing all these different things. And yet, that can actually blind you to the fact that God is trying to show you something new and great about Jesus, and you're missing it. So, verses 7 to 8, uh, he finds this news out from, uh, from his guys, goes back, calls the wise men to them. He calls them in private, right? And he says, hey, go find this child. And come back and let me know so I can, I can see for myself. But that's a lie. Right? That's why he did it in secret. Right? He doesn't want people to know that, that these guys are going to leave and, and try to find out more. He wants to find out where Jesus is so he can eventually kill him. So the wise men, they leave, they go to Bethlehem. And as I said, Bethlehem is just five miles away from Jerusalem. A couple hours travel. Verse uh, 9 of chapter 2. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Again, this is God like influencing the solar system itself, right? Creating what was for them like a moving star, right? To lead them right to where Jesus was. We can tell this is, this, this is a little bit after Jesus was born, right? So he's no longer just in, in a manger, right? They, we see there in verse 11, he's in a house by this point. So they're still in Bethlehem, living in a house, probably a couple months old, maybe a year old, when these wise men show up. And it says there, when they get there, 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like the Bible's way of saying, like, they were deliriously happy. They've been traveling a lot, right? <laughs> but it's come true. It's happened. All the travel and investigation has led to what they hoped for. A child has been born, and they recognize it. It's true. The, the prophecies are true. The Messiah is here, the Savior King of Israel. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening the treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. These are gifts that you give to a king, to, to a royal person. And, you know, I can't help but think maybe this is part of how uh, Jesus' family is able to escape later on. We'll find out next week some of the money they needed to be able to escape from what happens with Herod. But in all this, what we're seeing here from the response of the wise man is them responding to, again, the very clear invitation of, Jesus, of, of God. Come and see for yourself. Come and see. Come and check this out for yourself. I want you to notice that's not the only response that's going on here. Because God says, come and see. But when you come and see, there's something that will automatically happen. Come and see, and it will lead you automatically to worship, to joyful worship. What's interesting here is I think the the wise men knew this even before they headed out. The passage begins saying, hey, we saw the star. We've come to worship. If it's true that Jesus, this person, this baby we're going to see, we're going to encounter, is the Messiah well, we can't help but worship, and it was confirmed. They, joy, they, they have joy in encountering Jesus, and they worship. Jesus, by virtue of being the Messiah, by being the Son of God, well, just, just, just on that basis, he's worthy of worship. But I want you to understand, when we think of worship, the invitation of God, when he invites us to worship, is an invitation to like, be coerced, or to be like crushed in the ground, which is a way we might think of when we think of that word worship, right? Come and worship me, right? And we don't use that word all the time, but if you think about anything that's great or powerful, if you're under that, really what they're expecting is that you recognize you're great, I'm, not, I'm great, you're not, and bow down to me. Accept that. And in spaces like that, back then, that was an invitation to be crushed, right? I'm going to put you under my heel as a way to acknowledge that I'm greater and better than you. The Messiah comes, and because of who he is, the Son of God, the promised Savior, yes, it's an invitation, it's a call, really, to worship. But when you encounter this Jesus... When he encountered this Messiah, and that's what I think the wise man realized, the uniqueness of who he is. The call to worship him is a call actually to worship with joy because you recognize to come and recognize the greatness of Jesus is a call not to be crushed by him, but to be lifted up by him. To be brought into a space where you recognize here is someone who's great and powerful and he's not against me. He doesn't fight against me. He fights for me. He is for me. The greatness of the God that we come to worship is the greatness that God brings to us in Jesus and says, come, you bow down before me so I can lift you up to be where I am at. We come and we worship. And to worship is an invitation by God. When God says that, come and see Jesus, he says, come and see Jesus and worship so that your life can be filled with joy and peace and all the things that only comes when you come before the king. Before Jesus. So that's what happens with the wise men. That's the full picture of, of what they experience in response to what God has done by calling them to, to find Jesus and to worship before him. It ends, of course, with verse 12. God sends them a dream. Let's them know, hey, don't go back to Herod. And they listen. And they go back a different way. So as we think about this, here's something I want, I want to sort of throw out here for you all. 
as I've been thinking about this, I, I really believe this. I, I think God is always pointing to Jesus. He's always pointing to Jesus. So to, to be more specific here, I, I, I really believe that there is, for every single person on this planet, they'll stand before God one day, and they can't say that God has not pointed to Jesus in some way. Why do I say that? I, again, I think it's in different ways, in different places, for different people. So it's not saying it's the same all across the board. But given the fact that God is all about accomplishing his plan, and the, the most glorious thing God is doing is bringing the Savior King to this world to do the things only he can do, I want to say God is always saying, look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. Hear Jesus. Worship Jesus. Sometimes he's doing it in indirect ways. Right? And so maybe God is pointing us to Jesus, pointing you to Jesus through the lives of people who are loving in a way that you've never seen. They're loving you with the love of Jesus. Maybe that's how he's pointing to Jesus. Maybe he's pointing to Jesus through just the nature that's around it. We, we know this. Jesus later on uh, in his ministry talks about how if everything else is silent, even the rocks will cry out in praise of me. So maybe there's ways in which he's sort of saying, showing his power and his power, particularly as known through what God has done through Jesus. Maybe that's how he's pointing to Jesus. Other times, I think God points people to Jesus in very direct ways that can't be missed. What is there for us to think that God still doesn't speak through dreams to people about Jesus? Or even moving stars. Is that beyond God's ability? He could do it. I'd be surprised if he does it. Most especially, most usually, though, we should say, God is telling people and pointing people to Jesus directly through people, like me right now. <laughs> Maybe through a family member, through other people. God directly saying, he doesn't, he doesn't need angels to do it. He's using us, his people, to say, and maybe other people in your life who are Christians, who you know, to say, hey, come and check this out. Come and see Jesus. And that's a question, right? How is God trying to make you see Jesus right now? Make you see Jesus in a way that you should not miss. I believe God is always trying to shine a spotlight on the great thing he has done for this world. I set my Messiah, my Savior King, to meet you where you at and take you where you need to be. Come and see for yourself. Come and check it out. Come and consider for yourself. And the question is, do you see it? Are you missing it? How will you respond to it? We saw it in, in our passage. There's different ways we can respond to it. We can, we saw it with Herod. We can reject it. We can fight against this. You can try to ignore the reality of God, in particular Jesus, and say, I don't buy this. I don't want this. I'm done with it. But let me just sort of say this. Just because we ignore the reality of Jesus, we fight against it, we push against it, doesn't erase it, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get rid of it, does it? I mean, the sun exists, and you could put a head covering over it, you could put sunglasses on you, you could stay in your house all day, but the sun is still there. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it still exists. And so the fight against the reality of Jesus as king means, well, it doesn't erase him from being there. And eventually one day, everything will be stripped away and you will have to admit, well, <laughs> he's there. I can't ignore it. Maybe the block for you, what's making you reject Jesus, is your own fears, your own insecurities, your own issues, and your own problems. And learn from the story of Herod. Like, don't let those things keep you from what you actually really need. 
what God has actually given to you. God is saying, come and see Jesus. Don't reject it. That's one response. But another one for us, of course, we saw was apathy. Could you not be coming and seeing Jesus for yourself and then recognizing who he is because of laziness, because of indifference? You've seen enough, you know enough, and yet, like, I got a lot going on. <laughs> I don't want to do all that right now. You know, my friend and, and theologian John Delhousse, he says this, do we yearn for God's kingdom or harbor a desire for the status quo? Now, let, me, let me say this particularly for those of us who've been around this for a while. And particularly for those of you who've grown up in the church or you maybe you've been in church for a while, I think this response especially speaks to people like us. Like, we know our Bibles, we know the thing, and yet I think that the greatness of being a Christian for a long time is, is yes, we've had this for a long time. But the danger of that is like those scribes and like those chief priests, you become apathetic and indifferent. You sort of stay in this place. And yet when I, when I say God is pointing to Jesus, he's always saying, come and see Jesus. I think he's saying that throughout our lives. He's always trying to do a new thing here and see us more of who Jesus is. At Roosevelt, we always, talk about, we always talk about encountering all of Jesus, which is to say, Jesus, he's God, he's infinite. There's more for you to encounter. There's more for you to meet up. There's more spaces in which he needs to draw out from you, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his truth, all those things, and you could be missing it. Because you're lazy and you're apathetic. And I'm not speaking this of my saying, you are this way. I've been this way. I've been this way. God, God help me. Because it is so easy, even for me, for all these years, pastoring all these years, to basically sort of go through the motions. I know how to do the thing. I know how to show up and listen. I know the Bible verses to read. I know the prayers to give. All those different things. I know, hey, someone asked a question, like those scribes, let's hear your answer. <laughs> This thing is not, we're not doing trivia pursuit here, right? This isn't like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? Here's questions about God and Christianity and Jesus, and you give the answer? It is more than that, isn't it? It is about a change, a radical change in your life that is meant to change you every single day. Every single day. God is still saying, come and see Jesus. Come and see and see what he wants to do in and through your life. Don't let your apathy, don't your years of sort of being around this for a long time get in the way of seeing really the new thing God is always wanting to do with you and Jesus. But he's wanting to lead us, of course, all of us, whether you've just been fighting against it or you've been apathetic to it all your life, for, for much of your life right now. What he's wanting to lead us to is, is that one, right? It's joyful worship. It's recognition that, yes, the king has come and we worship him, and we worship him in a way that brings us the joy we have been needing and wanting. Brings us the joy that secures us now in heaven and secures us forever in the new heaven and new earth. God is saying, I've brought Jesus to do the thing in your life that needs to be done and to keep doing it. Come and see Jesus, as God says. Will you hear that call this morning? Don't let anything get in the way of hearing all that God has to say to you in and through Jesus and receiving it and receiving it such that you have joy and joy forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for this time and this space to be together. Um, and Lord, for, uh, Lord, for what only you are able to do, to speak to each one of us. And 
Good. I, I, I'm putting myself out here. I, I think, at least in this room, I can say you've spoken to every single person here because I've said you've sent Jesus for us. And so where there is, it's, there's enough, Lord, for us to at least say, hey, I need to check this out. <laughs> I need to hear more. I need to at least fully consider who he, Jesus is and what he's about, Lord. And, and because of Jesus, because of he's the Messiah that he is, he's able to meet us in the different places that we're at. For some of us, we've been in it for a while. We've strayed away. Wake us back up, Lord. Bring us the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear Jesus in a way that can meet us in our hearts and our souls and lead us more into your joy, more into your peace, more into your rest. And for others um, who have been rejecting it all along, um, Lord, uh, help them to get past the rejection into the deeper place of fear or insecurity of their own sin even. Help them to see Jesus is for them too. Lord, thank you that you're a God who I didn't say stay away. You're a God who said come and see. Come and see Jesus. Know him, believe in him, worship him, and be filled with your joy, Lord. Um, only you can do this. And so, Lord, I pray for how as we spend time responding to this, um, you might lead us even this morning in those directions. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.